Oh, yeah, crippling, uh, horrible artistic crises uh, regularly. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I, you know, horrible crisis. Everything I've done is garbage. Just looking at it all, like, ugh. But you know, then I calm down. Like, wait, how, did, how does that play possible. out, though? Well, I'm always working. I, I'm working on this. Was working on this big gallery show for this Paris gallery. That's like you know a famous comics gallery. It's uh-huh. posh gallery Martel. Uh, you know, it's it's a big deal. So I was really doubting myself and really having to try and prove myself. I didn't go into it thinking like I got this. Like you know, pff, top of my game. It was like you know I'm nothing. I'm worthless. And you know it comes ebbs and flows. You know sometimes it's, you know everything's cracking and it's like woo and you feel really powerful. But other times ugh. And generally, you know, I think it's healthy to think, like, this is shit, do better next time. It depends on how that manifests itself. I mean, that can go in two very different directions. It can either drive you or you can just give up. That crippling sense of doubt is what, in a lot of cases, stops people from making things. Yeah, I mean, personally, it's all I've got, and I've, you know, struggled to get to this point, yeah. and now I'm here, so I can't stop. I can't go back to working at McDonald's or scrubbing bird shit out of aircraft hangars, and, you know. I'm pre- sorry, are those real Well, yeah, examples? previous yeah? jobs I okay. had. Uh, when I lived in London, I scrubbed bird shit from the floors of aircraft hangars, and at McDonald's as a teenager, telemarketing, yeah. all sorts of horrible jobs, and... Did a lot of bookstores, worked in like the oldest bookstore in London for okay. a while, uh, Hatchards on Piccadilly. That was fun, but, you know, grueling also. Retail's very depressing. Uh, so I, I couldn't go back, so I just, you know, work very hard yep. now, pump this shit out, and, uh, yeah, whew, try to keep afloat and feed my rabbits. When you were getting ready for a show like that at a very prestigious art gallery in, in France, what, what does that entail? I mean, are you, are you just sort of going back and collecting stuff you've redone? Are you creating originals? Well, it's a mix. I mean, it's, you know, I've had to give up a lot of art that I've been holding on to. I've been trying to keep the books together. Like, a lot of older yeah. artists I admire, they've kept their big works together. It's the retirement fund. So, yeah, I've had to give up a lot of that stuff. I also produced, you know, 16 new paintings that were sort of larger than I normally work at, and then nine, like, really very large portraits I've never worked at that scale before. Probably small for other artists, but for me it was a big deal. So yeah, I did produce a lot of new work. I you know, I, I promised early on I'll I'll do all these new paintings, there'll be all this stuff, and then you get sidetracked with other projects and then it was sort of, you know, panic. I have to do all this new work, it has to be good and I, I was looking back at old crappy shows I'd done in like twenty twelve, you know, two thousand seven and my work back then seemed better than it does now. Mm. Just you know, crisis of, you know, craft, crisis of confidence and but I think I pulled it off. I think I've done enough work. As soon as I finished, I kept promising to my wife, like, I'm working all fucking day. It's it's horrible. I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop. You know, the deadline is September 1st. And I immediately started drawing a new 44-page uh, zine and just, like, did that in four days. Just Because I was on fire. I'd been working for so long. And I was just in the zone. So yeah. I, I just, this book just poured out of me. It's a and, good problem to have, though, when you're a cartoonist, to have too much work to do. Yeah, I never have writer's block. I haven't had writer's block since uh, 2008 um, or 2007 I think now I just have years and years worth of material it's just trying to keep up with uh, making this stuff and now trying to consider a fan base and other people are reading it outside of me and immediate friends it's it's not fantasy football now it's real football (laughs) when you compare your work to two years ago what is the difference is it is it the art is it the storytelling I think in the last two years, my drawings become, you know, slightly more fiddly. I feel like shading bushes more. But there's been sort of a holding pattern with Megan Mog, my thing I do, my characters. Uh, I've been putting off the sort of next evolution of it, the next yeah. big book that 
pushes it forward. And I've sort of put out a few odds and ends collections. So I, I sense that the fan base, or whatever you want to call it, is getting tired and, you know, they're ready for it to move on. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm ready. It's a story about my mother. It's a big in, in-depth thing about my uh, drug-addicted mother. And the, the, the characters are sort of frivolous stoners in the comic, but I've always intended to, you know, move it along and grow it up. And yeah. it's sort of a, you know... A look at addiction and like trying to change and trying to grow up so anyway yeah but for the last two years i think it's sort of been in a holding pattern but next year i'm planning to break out of that the problem is that you're spending just too much time on the, the little details yeah like i said i drew a book in like a 44 page book in four days i just i penciled it really loosely i had all the ideas there and really rough pencils and then just had fun with a, a brush and some gouache and just like just shat it out. Just like was yep. allowed myself to be loose and relax and just enjoy the process. And but now this page, I've been you know I'm working on a big color page here, and it's been like you know a week of fine crafting, like little leaves and trying to be really neat. And you know, it, it's for a somewhat prestigious anthology, so it's like you know it's got to be yeah. good and got to be like you know, shaded properly. And but yeah, it's a, a friend of mine was just messaging me the other day saying they're just tired of drawing and just like they nearly finished this series and just like ugh, like. Ties, <laughs> and you know I kind of feel that way as well. But also I love it. And what else am I going to do? Like I said, I don't want to go back to the bird shit. It's not just being tired of drawing, though. In your case, having drawn the same characters for so long, but you feel like they're elastic enough that you can still tell a number of stories there. Oh, definitely. I enjoy the repetition. I, I you know, I, I, as much as I complain about drawing or whatever, I, I also enjoy yeah. the mechanical repetition of it. And having the same characters, I think, is feeds into that. It's the you know. I did something different last year. An anthology asked me, "Can you can you not do Megan Mog? Can you do something different, classier?" So I tried to do this like wafty teenage sci-fi kind of They were of saying story. that the, the, the pot smoking witch was not classy enough. I think they were applying a slightly crass or just or they yeah. they wanted to see something different that might fit the tone of the publication more. And I, I think it was a complete failure. This sci-fi human character story idea it was terrible. Uh, worst piece in the anthology by far. They knew it. I knew it. Big failure. So I was very happy to get back to Megan Mogg. Like, I'm not done with this. I've I've been doing it for, like, nine years, but I, I've barely scratched the surface. Yeah. Like I said, next year I want to really evolve it and push it forward. It's I started doing this. It's called Meg's Coven. It's all about, you know, it goes into Meg, the character Meg's family and stuff. Uh, the, I, you know, I started in 2012 fiddling around with it, but then I got the book deal. And, you know, it's sort of put it in a holding pattern and it'll really hurt my mother when I do it. It's very personal stuff for my mother and our relationship. And she's sort of gotten wind that I'm going to do this story. She's not happy about it. You know, she's sensitive. You about have not it. communicated this to her directly? Oh, yeah. I said to her, yeah, I'm going to do a book about this. Like, you know, yeah. you've been a drug addict my whole life and it's been a part of my life. And I've seen you go through so much stuff and so much horror and just weird dysfunctional stuff and friends of hers and just amazing anecdotes. And, you know, it's gold. It's grist for the mill. It's I, I, I can't help but write these stories. But, you know, I have been holding off because, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's an odd relationship I have with my mother yeah. and... Uh, it's you know yeah it's uh, it's a tough one. Obviously the the characters are are stand-ins. You know this could have you didn't have yeah. to communicate the fact to the public that this was such a personal story. Why did you feel the need <laughs> to do that? Well, I mean, I'm an idiot. Uh, it's okay. a, an open book. <laughs> I, I ramble. I get into trouble and I yeah. ramble. I, I you know I you know I'm a bit tipsy right now. I've had a beer and stuff. Yeah. It's, and you know, some. You, you're at my house yeah. on a what is it Thursday? I don't know what day it is. Thursday. Thursday. Jack says it's Thursday. Yeah. So, you know, I ramble, and I, I like to perform, and I, I, I like to be open as well. I like honesty, and uh, 
I, I don't want. I, I don't know how to be closed off and mysterious, and you know, I, I don't know if that's a good tactic. As a, I mean, uh, do you feel like it's important though to, to communicate that to the reader? That this is coming from a very real place. No, I don't know if that's important. I, you know, but it comes up. I don't know. Yeah. I, I do an interview. People ask me what's your childhood like, and it's like, well, it was weird, and there were lots of junkies, and you know, yeah. that's what my work's about. And people would have connected the dots. It. No matter yeah, what. and they're good stories. You know, it's yeah. it's better than just like, oh, I'm, I'm a guy. I live somewhere. I wear sweaters. I hi. Yeah, I made a book. Sometimes dresses. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. All sorts of clothes. All sorts of fabrics. <laughs> Why was this the proper vessel for that? I mean, obviously beyond the fact that you've been working on this for for some time, but it sounds like you're making a pretty dramatic shift in storytelling here. Yeah, I, I did a comic before this. I worked on for years called Girl Mountain, which is like a small town. So Twin Peaksy sci-fi drama thing, and there, there was a lot of the stuff about my mother in that, and her drug stuff over the years, and my cross-dressing and gender stuff. And I got sick of that. I'd been working on it for like six years. I started it when I was very young. Big mistake. It was terrible. Like the the style changes throughout yeah. it so dramatically, and it was a learning experience. Sure. So yeah, I started doing this Megan Mog stuff on the side, and then I just sort of fell in love with the characters, and just they, I don't know, they just grew in a way. I know people seem to like them. I like them. It just like flubber. I often say um, it was an accident. I was like Robin Williams, and this 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 accident happened. This flubber, and it was just magical. And I've just kept going with them, and and, and all the, the the sad stuff from my previous book went into this. It, it, Megan Mogg started out as kind of a jokey roommate sitcom thing, but then naturally all of the stuff that preoccupies my mental space, my you know, junky ma, weird shit from Tasmania. But it was important that you stepped away from that for a while and just had, you know, stoner roommate stories before you circled back and revisited the really serious stuff? Yeah, I guess. Just have a bit of fun and just do some goofy yeah. comedy stories. And, and then and learn how you know, to do comics. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, experiment more with short stories. And I mean, I've been making comics since I was eight. I yeah. started self-publishing zines when I was eight years old in the late 80s. So, you know, I've, I, it's all I've ever done. I dropped out of high school because I knew I just want to make comics. Yeah. This is, it's, it's consumed me my entire life. It's like a sickness. I just <laughs> endlessly draw. I'm always in competition with myself and... I always tend to find a friend, like in all the small towns I've lived in, is I've always got to have an offsider, and we sort of compete with each other in a friendly way. And I know healthy competition. I, I, I really mm. want to put together a zine of all the stuff that cartoonists were doing when they were like eight or nine. Like Ed, Ed Pisker was put his like early X Men stuff on. Yeah, wow, I yeah. think it'd be amazing. What was an eight year old in Australia reading? Was it like was it X Men? Was it European stuff? Yeah, uh, a mix of everything. Yeah. I, I grew up on like uh, Donald Duck comics, Tintin, yeah. Asterix, mostly European. Uh, got really big into Mad Magazine when I was like eight or nine. A brief dalliance with superheroes from like nine to twelve. Yeah. And then when I was around thirteen, I discovered uh, Dan Klaus, Pete Bag, Charles Burns, like Fanographics drawn on quarterly, all that sort of alternative stuff. Joe Matt, uh, reading Joe Matt as that's a thirteen a early, year old. That's a pretty early uh, reckoning for you. That resonated yeah. that early for you. Well, I had like a weird junky mum, and you know, <laughs> hanging out in biker bars. Okay. And all my f- when I was thirteen, all my friends were twenty one. Yeah. So I was watching Twin Peaks. And- sure. Reading weird comics, but I don't know. It was, you know, it was it was yeah. a bit old, I guess, but. I was dealing with mature themes at home uh, anyway, so... I mean, something like Peter Bag's Hate, I think, was really helpful as a yeah. teenager. It was just, you know, seeing people in their early 20s do stuff and just a bit ahead of you, and... I don't know, I could relate with Buddy Bradley and stuff a lot when I was, like, 13, 14. It sounds like you've got more doubts about it than you did when you were 12. It sounds like you're a pretty confident, like, 8- or 12-year-old publishing your own stuff. Well, I, I don't know where I got the idea. I just... 
Yeah, there was a Xerox machine at the corner store, the news agent that sold like lottery. My grandmother bought lottery tickets there and flirted with all the young uh, salesmen. And you know, my mother also flirted with the young salesmen. And we hung out there a lot. It was the corner news agent. But yeah, I, I printed these books. I I just wanted to have a comic. I guess I I think when I was five, I read my first comic, and then I was just obsessed and a latchkey kid, alone with a lot of time. But yeah, I'd print these zines up and sell them on the playground and uh, got in a lot of trouble in high school because I was like, you know, I was reading all these underground comics. I was doing like comics about sex and old ladies being squashed by monster trucks and like juvenile teenage bullshit. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I got in a lot of trouble with the principal and you know, a lot of letters sent back to my mother. I, I barely went to school. Like I just like, I, I we call it wagging. What do you, what do you call it here? Like bunking H- off or a hooky. hooky yeah yeah i just never went i i about one, I like your term better That's yeah wagging yeah about one third of the school year i'd go to school so i was just always drawing I, it's, it's like i said a sickness I, you just assume that this was something it was possible to do as a living i mean i think when i was 12 aside from like rob liefeld i didn't know anybody who could actually make a living yeah. doing comics i don't think i really thought about it I, I think i was i was in therapy for depression since i was like 13 or 14 yeah. around that time i started smoking pot a lot when i was like 14 and you know i smoked a lot of pot you know from then on just without much of a break which never really affected me i don't think i don't think it's turned me into the stereotypical drooling stoner but yeah it was i don't know it was a weird time. You were in therapy for depression at the time, and I have to assume that... Flashing back to weird, awkward teenage yeah, times. I'm, I'm, <laughs> Tasmania. I, I, I mean, in a sense, obviously, making comics are a part of that therapy. You're you're, you're working through something. Yeah, I always Especially, say, like, you know, at that time. Yeah. Like, sounds like you were working through some pretty dark shit. Yeah, I always say art therapy. Like, yeah. it was a coping tool. You know, very small town, limited friends, and not much to do. So this creative outlet really yeah. was, you know, everything. How did you find that stuff? Uh, I think I, my mom and I were like, she's very social and stuff. Like, we were very social. We'd walk around town and just hang out in shops, I guess. We'd, just, we'd make friends with people. I don't know. I, looking back on it, it was kind of weird, but we were just like, I guess, oddballs that talked to people in shops. Like, oh, you've got a new shop. And it's like a weird little secondhand bookstore would open and we'd start, you know, chatting yeah. to the owner. And I started buying comics. And I don't know. I, there were a lot of comics around. Uh, yeah. They were all fronts for drugs. They were all these yeah. bookstores and comic stores in the 80s and early 90s, and they were all like heroin dealers, basically. And they had underground comics and and mainstream comics as well, and trading cards, whatever, but mostly fronts for drugs. I mean, that's sort of the interesting trade-off of your relationship with your mom. Obviously, it was tough, but in a weird way, it's nice in that she sort of like she treated you like a peer, it sounds like. She like treated you like a grown-up at a pretty young age. Yeah, to a fault, in a way. Yeah. And now she feels abandoned. Uh, Jean-Vierre Castray, a cartoonist, uh, rest in peace, did a, sadly, did a great comic a few years ago. We were friends, and we talk yeah. about it. Her, similar thing with her mother, just this abandonment. Like, yeah. when I moved out, my mother was like, you're my friend, you're, you're abandoning me. And, well, I have to go and do my own thing. Yeah. Like, thanks for raising me, but I've got stuff to do now. And So it was too close, in a way, too, too personal. She was very open, like, told me when I was uh, nine or so about her drug use and all this stuff I always knew about it and yeah, exposed to a lot of stuff and uh, I think it was character forming and it's made me who I am and I don't regret any of it but it was weird and then there's all her friends that have sex with dogs and like yeah, oh. weird weird crazy stories Tasmania yeah. is a very dark yeah. very black metal place there's yeah. some very odd things happening there I, I have well, a... no, I saw you I, I'm sorry again <laughs> yeah. like I think it was a grainy piece where you, you compared growing up to Gummo. Yes, no, very much so. Yeah. There was some very squalid... Uh, I'm saving up, like I said earlier, a lot of very horrible squalid anecdotes. It's this uh, interesting thing that, that I've noticed that 
redneck culture is kind of universal in a sense. Oh yeah, every every country has their version of oh, it. Oh, Tasmania is very white trash. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, you know, it's yeah, it's it's a weird place. It's a weird wild island off the coast of Tasmania, yeah. the seventh state uh, off the coast of Australia. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah the seventh state. It, it's there. You know, it's like ten years behind. It's. Uh, People say we're inbred. They say you've got two heads. You're inbred. Yeah. I, I did go to high school with three people who were inbred. Uh, their parents were cousins, so it rings true. They'd make fun of us for that, but I was like, "How dare you!" But actually, it's kind of true. So it's it's a weird place. So was it was it the sense of I have to get out of here as soon as possible? Yeah, everyone gets yeah. out. If you're a musician if, or if an artist, lucky. you get out. You go to Melbourne. That Melbourne is the arts, fashion, music capital yeah. of Australia. So if you know. You live in Tasmania. It's very close. You want to get out, but it's hard. I had friends who were musicians, and they go to the airport and like, okay, I'm going to do it. But then they freak out, and like, I can't do it. Like, it's a big move across the ocean to this bigger city. Like, yeah. Tasmania is very close knit. The scene is very close. Uh, what little scene there is, I mean. Were you able to find like-minded people there yeah. in Tasmania? I lived in the north of Tasmania, which is barren barren cultureless shithole but a lot of friends were moving to melbourne on the, on the mainland but i moved further south i found some comics people and like noise music artists in hobart m- much further south where all the antarctic icebreaker ships live from i moved down there and lived there probably longer than i should have but it was great there was a really yeah. great scene our community was awesome like uh, there's a lot of great cartoonists that are still working that we came up in the scene together and great music and like you were talking about, we were talking about privately about Flying Nun before. And yeah. Like there were labels like Consumer Productions and stuff in Hobart that I think are as good as those sorts of, you know, mythical, you know, wild labels in these weird parts of the world. There, there is that sort of moment, like if, if you're lucky, you get this. And, and I and I think that like, I mean, I'm not a cartoonist, obviously, but I think I was able to find this a little bit in comics where you, if you're lucky, you find your people. You like yeah. find your tribe. You find like people who are weirdos but in a way that is you know complementary to your weirdodom yeah and i've made all my friends through comics or music or just the arts like my my mother doesn't have friends right now like she's having a tough time and she doesn't really have friends and it's hard for her to make friends and i just i feel like you need a thing it's helpful in life to have a thing or an interest that you're very passionate about I've, i've met my wife through comics and all my friends and it's you know for me it's been everything like and it's got me out of such a small, weird place at the bottom of the earth. And now I'm you know, off to Paris next week yeah. for an art show. And, you know, I've, you know, I've worked very hard and made all these things happen. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's, you've got to have a thing. You need a thing. Yeah. Especially as you grow older and, like, you know, things start to fall apart. You need a thing. You need something to cling to, something to, you know, a passion. You were just talking earlier about how it's been a good year. But things, things are still eroding for you. Yeah, yeah. No, it's you know, it's, yeah. yeah, it's been a good year. You know, in a way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. My my it's wife's. Sort of, it's one of those things where you sort of like you like do your your taxes at the end of the year, and you're like, all right, I think I came out ahead. Yeah. Like things were things were mostly positive here. In, in my bubble, it's okay. In my yeah. my house, my spaceship that I mostly spend all my time in, that my wife and I pilot, and we just float through reality in this this structure. Yeah, the pets are good. The wife's good. Some family strife, you know, a bit of weird shit, but nothing too bad. Last year, I had two friends die, um, a bandmate of 10 years and my art dealer. So that was a, you know, that was a weird year for me. Moved to America, then two weeks later, two friends die. So no one's died this year that I personally know. So So selfishly, it's been a good year for me. Do you get that thing where when, you know, when you lose somebody close to you, you feel like, 
I have to bust my ass a little bit more or like after really, you know, make make use of this time because obviously we're all we're all mortal and, and our time is all finite. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean that was part of it. But yeah, it was it was a rough time and it, it, yeah, it made me think about yeah, finite resources, time. I before all that, I worry about time. I know how short life is. I I wake up every day just thinking just just confused. I don't know how people can get stuck in a rut and just like so stuck in reality and the grind. Like No, but you're like, so, but you're somebody who who dealt with depression, so you can understand that as well as anybody else, how things can just... And it doesn't have to be anything tangible, but things can really weigh down and, and crush you. Yeah, I've just never... I, I, I'm I too fascinated by life to yeah. ever really consider suicide. I've, I've been very depressed, but I think it's mostly because of external sources. My just, you know, empathy, just like depression for my mother and just well, things well, de- that happen. Depression, I've dealt with it a little bit, but not nearly as much as, as other people I know, but... I mean, in a sense, maybe depression is a little bit, I don't want to say easier to deal with, but, you know, manageable if you can pin it on some external force, right? Well, yeah, If it's something where, like, everything is going well, but you're still really fucking depressed, that's that much more difficult to deal with. Yeah, that's like a chemical, just inherent depression. I I would class that as, like, real depression or something. Like, you know, you you can't put your finger on it. It's just like, this is a... A symptom, like you know, you just you're suffering from this. But yeah, I, I don't feel I've ever been that kind of depressed. I'm just like anxious about all this like horrible shit, <laughs> and then that drags me down. And, and and so I try to lose myself in this craft uh, yeah. comics business. You're lucky in that it it sounds like it's been pretty much um, unbroken for you know like six or seven years that you that you've just been able to do it. I mean, it's part of that having these characters that you've worked with so long that you can just, you know, imbue whatever on. Obviously, you don't have the issue a lot of people have with the sort of clean state starting over again. At the very least, you've got specific characters that you can build on. Yeah, I'm going for a Love and Rockets kind of gasoline alley thing with this. I've, yeah. I've said that, you know, over the years. Like, but yeah, yeah, I do need to move it forward. But yeah. Um, it's, yeah, in stasis. But, but yeah, no, I love these characters and I plan to keep doing them forever and sort of, you know, like Pete Bag's a model. He sort of did Buddy Bradley and yeah. uh, that stuff for years. He sort of slowed down with it. He's doing something different now. But he kept them alive for as long as he could. Like, at some point, you know, like right now I'm processing my 20s through these characters. Then I guess I'll process my 30s. I guess I'm already doing that. But yeah, processing my 40s, 50s, like, you know, it'll get boring. It'll be about fitness and like, oh, I do TV now. I do a TV show now. Like, oh, the dailies. I've got to watch the dailies and, you know, try to take a plane somewhere. That'll be boring. You know, I guess I'll kill all the characters off. I'll, you know, they either become horrible junkies and they die or they get healthy and they have like boring regular lives. Well, this is, in music, this is sort of the sophomore album problem, right? Is you have your entire career to, to work on your first record and then your second album ends up being about, you know, being on the road yeah so yeah my second album is like the the brooding depressing kind of one but i got the sense that like and i don't know if this is the case anymore but i got the sense that you were kind of like going out of your way to live stories that you could retell <laughs> in a way i mean yeah i've said that before. like you were like, you doing crazy to, shit yeah you need to create material like <laughs> uh I, I, yeah you talked about that guardian interview yeah. i think i talked about my friend grant and i every every month or so we'd get Drunk to the point of almost getting arrested. Well, you would very but specifically at the beginning of the interview come in from, from like crashing a construction zone. Oh, that was right after construction. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it was like six a.m. He said. Yeah, my friend, my best friend and writing partner on this Megan Mog uh, stuff, HTML Flowers or Grant Groenwald. He's a a rapper with uh, cystic fibrosis. Oh. 
So yeah, he's constantly being told he's going to die. Yeah. So yeah, we've been climbing cranes, and he'd been he was hanging like ten stories up, just hanging off this crane, like woo! Like he has a death wish. It was a crazy time. Been less crazy since then because yeah. I I moved to America and lived with my wife, and we're still crazy, but we're not hanging off cranes crazy. We're not quite that crazy. Do, do you feel like you're getting boring in your old age? No, we're still weirdos. <laughs> Jack is is nodding. I mean, we still, you know, we go to all these festivals and yeah. stuff. You know, we have a bit of a drink and, you know, a chin wag and, you know, gossip and crazy things happen. I, I, I steal other people's stories. like, And I, you know, I'm moving into the phase of Megan Mog where it's all about my junkie mother and, like, yeah. you know, 10 years worth of crazy Tasmanian junkie stories. So, I, you know, yeah, I, I've got a lot of stories. And that uh, was just stuff that, like, for obvious reasons, naturally it would take a lot longer for you to process. Yeah, you know, it's... And like I said, I'm scared to break my mother's heart. I've been putting this book off for about five years. Like, Mega Hex, the first book that I did in 2014. After that, I should have just done Meg's Coven. But I was, you know, trepidatious, and I put it off. I uh, honestly think, though, I think you had to really... I mean, obviously, you'd already been doing comics for a while, but you had to get good at the the basics of it before you could tackle something like that. I mean, I've, yeah, I've seen well, a few examples. Yeah. I, I, I won't, I won't name names, but like, Oh, you're, you're <laughs> she's, she's nodding. Like she knows what I'm talking about, but I've seen some, a few examples of books where, you know, it's, it's really great source material and, and really well done, but you mm. know, the art, the crafts isn't quite there. And it's important that you spend these intervening years working on that. Yeah. I want it to be good. And, and there's a financial aspect with it as well. I went back to Vice magazine, doing weekly serials. Like, I don't want to do all this personal, hardcore material in a a, a weekly, rushed, serialized format, yeah. trying to make it punchy every week, but this greater whole. I, I don't want to write under duress like that. So I just want to take my time with it. And I'm waiting until I'm ready. And yes, like, craft-wise, yeah. I, I can do it with confidence and fucking nail it and make it a good book. You were sort of caught up in the, the sitcom loop, which is like, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe there's some slight progressions over time, but at the end of 30 minutes, you have to kind of, you know, end where you started. Yeah, and, and also once I pull the trigger on changing it, there's yeah. no going back. Like after this, is that right? Well, after this Meg's Coven thing, like you know, I've written it pretty far yeah. into the future, but but after the, you know, I mean, there's a certain point, like ten years into these characters' lives, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, and maybe this is just being like more you know familiar with the, the Meg X stuff. But is continuity really that definite in a story like this? Oh, it's yeah. No, there's an insanely complicated chronology okay. with Megan Mog. I feel like the because I feel like R. even Martin like the Hernandez brothers can now. like hit kind of hit restart every you know. 15 years or so. Yeah, well, I'm just limiting myself to a current timeline. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm sure it makes no sense to other people, and I think it's very confusing to people, but yeah, there's a whole chronology, there's a whole timeline. It's a, it's a jigsaw puzzle that you can kind of put together and figure out. Do you worry that that might be something that, that again, people who came on board because they were like funny stoner jokes oh, might not be interested in? Oh, the- it's terrible marketing. I fucked it up really badly. Like, I mean, the plan is, like, I'm, I'm going to kick it into the next gear, the Meg's yeah. Coven era. It's going to be five books. They'll come out once a year, like 120 Jesus. pages a year. None of it will be on the internet, just a volume yeah. a year. And there's forward momentum to it. When you finish a book, it says to be continued, and next year it's to be fucking continued. Not, you know, the book comes out and it's a bunch of loose comics that, you know, prance around the same timeline and it feels like Ren and Stimpy and it's resetting and there's no, you know, emotional heft. Yeah. Yeah, I, I need to push it forward. But, you know, it's, it's tied into personal bullshit, so... But, but is it counterproductive to to build that, again, on, on these stories, these characters that, that sort of started off in that kind of, like, cyclical, funny comics area? Are you hampering yourself by using them as the basis? Well, potentially, but... 
I, I, I don't feel I can do other characters at this point. I'm sort of stuck with these guys. I'm yeah. very comfortable with them. I feel like I could do science fiction stories with them or any kind of genre. I could do a Western. It'd be fabulous, a, a Megan Mog Western. But I, yeah, they're sort of, they're my characters. I'm not tired of them at all. And uh, yeah, other characters bore me. Human characters bore me. What is it about them? Is it just the amount of time you spent with them? I, I, I guess, and I, I think they're archetypal in a way. I think yeah. uh, I've heard like talk of like uh, silhouettes. Like if you've got characters that are recognizable through silhouettes, yeah. like that's great. All my characters are recognizable through silhouettes. They also have like classic cartoon DNA cut through them, like uh, owls' ears or like the Tintin puff. Meg's got the Lisa Simpson dress cut uh, down the bottom. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Mog's got Garfield cheeks. Like, you know, it's Simpson-y in a way, the designs. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, you know, an amalgam of different, you know, popular cartoon designs. But that so. was probably just for, for you when you're first starting, kind of a shortcut that these were like, th- these were tropes that you knew you were able to do. Yeah, and, and just influences showing through as well. Yeah. I've, I've dogged the uh, Fort Thunder paper rad uh, influence tag for years. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'm trying to boot through my influences. So where are you at with this five-book series? Is this, thing so this color? is this is uh, yeah this is a, like a one off that you're working oh, on on the table, on the table you're yeah. pointing at a page. Yeah. This, this is for Kramer's Ergot okay. uh, anthology. Yeah, of um, so yeah, finally I get to be in Kramer's Ergot. I mean, I've been reading that for like you know fucking fifteen years. Yeah. So to finally to be doing a page for Kramer's Ergot is very surreal. I'm actually surprised to hear that um, you haven't been in there. Yeah, well, I was supposed to be in the last issue, but Sammy, the editor, yeah. wanted like a. Th- he was like, "Yeah, I want like a thirty-page full-color comic." I was like, "That's like two months of like yeah. work," and like you might just cut it because he's notorious for yeah. cutting things. Uh, this might not make it in. This is like a filler page that may or may not ma- yeah. may or may not make it. But with a filler page, I mean, that can go anywhere. That could live on another anthology. Yeah, exactly. I'll just do something else with it. But yeah, I would like to be in Kramer's. Uh... But yeah, with the, the next. Thing of Megan Mog, I'm I'm writing it right now. I'm okay. planning it. I'm I'm writing it like a movie. I'm I'm making thinking about it a lot, making sure it's good. You're writing it front to back before you sit down and start on it. Yeah, pretty much. I'm I'm really focusing on the first two chapters right now, yeah. and I sort of the first chapter is basically ready to go. I could start drawing it any day now, probably. But I'm just letting it stew. I'm going to do a few more zines. I've been enjoying making uh, more self-published Xerox zines. I have a, a trans character called Booger. I really want to do a solo Booger zine. Booger. There was a really great article on Medium. Someone recently published an essay about my trans character, Booger, saying how they're like a real trans character. Like, they're kind of like a horrible person and like a real person. Yeah. And they're like, uh, you know, a lot of like, you know, Diverse characters, they're very virtue signaling and like yeah. really overly positive. No, it was, I mean it's the same with like every every black character on yeah. every show for a long yeah. time was like this is us proving that a black character can be a normal character, and by doing so, you take out any sort of interesting trait that that character has. Yeah, I mean that's a joke on South Park with Token. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. They've been doing that for like twenty years. But anyway, I have this like gritty, I say gritty trans character. Yeah. And I have like a solo book written for her that I really want to do. And a few other zines. I just want to experiment, yeah. have a bit of fun. And then like next year, hopefully my art show goes well and I can financially be comfortable and just work on this book and just like blitz it and have it out by like, you know, early 2019. Are you having conversations with your mom around it or is it just sort of like 
here's the news I have to break to you, and then you will read it when it's out. Well, I've kind of purposely, like, the the first chapter of this, like, really, like, focuses on other stuff, and, like, the, yeah. the second book will really focus on the mother stuff. So, I'm again, I'm sort of pushing it forward and yeah. kind of like, okay, let's focus on other stuff in this first book, really gently ease into it, and then, uh, then we'll hit it up. And I'm hoping by then my mother will be, like, cleaned up and, like, you know, super yeah. detoxed out, and she'll be okay, and she can look back and laugh. And she'll be like, huh, yeah, I you, remember. You think she'll be in a better state mentally if she's <laughs> clean? Yeah, maybe. I mean, we can really go either way, you know? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's been, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've detoxed during, like, 2012 and threatened to sue the Department of Drug and Alcohol and, like, gone really, you know, done, yeah. you know, sacrificed a lot of stuff and, like, you know, been working really hard and had to, like, you know, go away and put a lot of time into my ma, and, like, which is fine. you got to take care yeah. of your family. But I feel it's unfair because she is sabotaging herself with all this, like, horrible drug use. And, you know, it's not fair on me. I'm, st- you know, I'm getting older, but I'm still pretty young. Like, I'm just trying to enjoy my life, my wife, and my career and trying to build seven something. seven rabbits. Yeah, my seven rabbits. <laughs> I got, you know, six rabbits. So five, five, and a dog. The dog's a rabbit, basically. Anyway. But yeah, anyway, blah, blah, blah. So, but I gotta I mean, stop how, how are you, like, how, how is this impacting you mentally? Like, you're basically living through all this stuff again. Yeah, I need to stop rambling about my ma. I feel bad. It's like, oh, fuck, I've been rambling about my mother again. Like, I go to festivals, and it's like, people are, how you doing? And I should just say, I'm cool. Yeah. I'm good. But I start, you know, I'm a bit tipsy, and I start rambling about my mother and stuff, and it's Nobody not... Nobody who asks you how you're doing actually wants to know how exactly. you're doing. Exactly. So it's not fucking cool, but it's like, it's, <laughs> it, it, but it's always on my mind. Like, yeah. you know, I, I can't, it's... You know, it, it's something that I'm constantly yeah. thinking about and constantly stressed about. It's like a heartbreaking, insanely horrible. So is this like horrible. a way of like working through it so that you can kind of move past it? Well, yeah, definitely. I, I hide in my work. Um, you know, it's an escape. This isn't hiding, though. In a sense, it's exercising, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's both. It's, yeah. It's detaching yourself from reality. You can write. You you turn something into fiction. You put it down on paper, and it distances you. From you're it. detaching yourself in that it's fiction, but you're really like leaning into it. At you're the same wallowing time. in it. In yeah. A way. Absolutely, it, it's self therapy. I stopped seeing therapists like f- three, four years ago. I, I think I got everything out of them. Once I became successful with comics and I started making money, I sort of stopped needing to go to therapists. I think part of it was a resistance to like reality and society. I'm selfish in a way. I just want to work. Leave me alone. Let me fucking yeah. work. I need to do this. That's a good trade for cartoonist. My fucking mind. It's a very isolating field. Yeah. <laughs> You know, obviously, like you're you're a, you're a pretty sociable person, eh. but you need to have that part of you that's able to lock yourself up in a room for eight hours a day. Yeah, I really don't like leaving the house. I'm not yeah. sociable. I, I really, I you're affable. Yeah. You're yeah, you're friendly but, enough, but I don't leave the house much. It's yeah. a problem, really. Workaholism. I I don't drive. I I walk to the corner shop sometimes, but but when I take a hard long look at my life, I'm not leaving the house enough. I'm not. I'm just obsessed with working yeah uh yeah but you know it's i'm taking care of my mother sending her money i'm trying to survive in america with no health care i gotta make money i gotta take care of my family and you know take care of my rabbits but do you you feel like this is your kind of way of working through some of that stuff earlier on Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's all it's all processing that. And and did, did, yeah. did you actually? I'm curious. Did you when when you were seeing shrinks? Did you ever show them your work? Not really. I I had one that I showed, but yeah, that, that was early on. I don't think it was that important. I, I mean, I have a lot of issues. My, I would just my, love know. to like know what they what they thought. You know, whether it was healthy. <laughs> I mean, in a sense, it's like a Rorschach test, right? 
I'm sure they think it's a healthy thing. I mean, I always talked about my workaholism and the yeah. work I was doing to these therapists, and I think they thought it was healthy enough. It was it was a dream. It was a vocation. It was it's positive working on something. Yeah. I've made a career out of it. It's very yeah. positive. Uh, yeah, just don't see the need to go to the therapist anymore. I don't know. I'm just I'm allowed to do what I want now. I wake up and the world is mine. You it's, feel like a grown up now. No, I don't feel like a grown-up, but but the world is mine. I wake up and I just have to work on drawing cartoon witches. Like it's no one interferes with my day. I, yeah, you know, I'm the captain of my day, which is you know, it, yeah, it makes me feel you know balanced and centered. Where you are with the TV deals, TV stuff. I'm I'm talking to someone. I've been very reticent and there. You've been talking to someone for a while now, though, right? Yeah, yeah there's someone. Yeah, you know, it's off and on all the time, but. No, um, yeah, I like growing comics because of the autonomy. That's what I always say. I have complete control over it. I do everything. And no one in TV has autonomy. No, uh, but they, I'm talking to someone right now, and uh, they, they seem cool and, you know, about artists' visions. And yeah. I, I want to buy a house. I want to take care of my family. So, you know, I'm looking into it. And I've always been fascinated by TV and writers' rooms. And, you know, I love drawing, but mostly I just love the creation of it and just, like, making things. But, you know, this isn't like Dan Dan Klaus, you know, optioning one of his books in that, you know, he has all these different books and, yeah, and he can, like, sort of send one out of the world. This is you optioning this thing that you yeah. spent yeah, 10 it, years working yeah, on. Yeah, it's personal. I, I've turned down, I think, like, two or three networks, yeah. like a series. It's like, you know, do you want to do a series? Let's do the series. Let's get it on the air. No, thank you. Like, mm, change my mind. No. What's the problem? I don't want to give up control. Yeah. I, I, it's my thing. I don't want it fucked up. I, I don't want to not be at home. I, I like being at home. I don't want to move to LA. Well, and here's a, here's a tough spot you're in, I imagine, is that the stuff that they're interested in it, it is the mega hex stuff, right? I mean, that's the yeah. stuff that makes a good TV show is like, you know, stone, these stone animals sitting around yeah. and you know, you can make like a 10 minute adult swim episode out of that. Well, yeah. But now you're like, let me deal, you know, do a five book series about my junkie mother. Like that doesn't play as well on TV. No, but I mean, it could, I mean, it, it feeds into it. I mean, I'm, I'm cresting a wave of like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. You're yeah. the worst. It's like, you know, depressed kind of Bojack Horseman, like shows about depressed, unlikable protagonists. Bojack Horseman like, is a better example because like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. As much as I love it, it everything, again, everything resets every single episode. And that yeah. wouldn't necessarily work with this. No. Well, I mean, the t- that's, again, why I'm worried about doing the TV show. Like I said, the comics are stuck in Arrested Development. And yeah. I'm like, ne- I need to push it forward. If I do the TV show, it's stuck back in this yeah. cycle of, like, pranks on Al, Meg's depressed, Werewolf Jones is horrible, the same old shit. And, you know, but, you know, the TV show would progress and do the same thing but, eventually. But you need to get those new books out into the world before yeah. you feel confident putting the TV show out. So, you know, if I can do the TV show and, like, we do the fun time, pranky yeah. TV show, and then also I'm pushing it forward with the books, and then eventually the TV show follows suit, okay. Yeah. So I'm talking. Also, HTML Flower is my writing partner. We're pitching his show uh, about his, like, uh, cystic fibrosis existence, like being in hospital, like yeah. dealing with healthcare, which is a very current issue. Like, it, you know, it's, it's like depressing, horrible hospital horror, but funny. Yeah. With dick jokes. So that, that'd be a great show. So we're pitching that as well. We're, uh, 
Yeah, Grant's my guy. He's my, my co-writer. Recently, Matt Groening, he got a show picked up by Netflix called Disenchanted, which sounds somewhat similar to Megan Mogg. But he's got an Australian rapper for his co-writer as well. It's like he's stealing my ideas. Like, <laughs> no, yeah, that, that no. Groening is a real hack. <laughs> I have an Australian-based rapper co-writer. Do you step off, Matt Groening. How dare you? I, I own that. That's my thing. Um, and I have the better Australian rapper co-writer. I'm going to say it. I'm going to put it, it but out it's, there. I mean, again, it's it's really interesting when you have a relationship with people who... I end up telling this... this I've told this story on the show before, but, you know, election night, I was sitting around in, in Brooklyn watching the turns, and there was that, that sort of moment when it was like, oh, yeah, there's this is going a certain <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. And, like, sitting there feeling depressed about myself, and then, you know, my sister, who's got... A you know a chronic condition texts me and says, "Hey, I'm worried about my healthcare." And yeah. then all of a sudden, it's like, "Oh yeah, there are like you know things might be a little bit worse for me, but there are people who, when these things change in the world, this is going to immediately affect them." You've got a little bit yeah. of that. You're you know you're you're an immigrant. Well, Grant, my sick friend, is yeah. from Chicago, born yeah. and bred. He moved to Australia for the healthcare. His mother was like in so much debt, like had to yeah. get the. This is a, America is a fucked country. It's a broken, fucked country. Anyway. <laughs> I, I, I try to keep I, – I try not to be political on the internet. I feel yeah. guilty about it because, like, silence is, you know, complicity or whatever. But I'm an immigrant here. I want to stay with my wife and yeah. my rabbits. So, I yeah, I don't want to be bashing politicians online. But. The only reason I want to interject is because of the point about saying things on the internet. There was a just a law passed that the immigration um, department can – look through your social media and use that determining whether or not they want to renew your green card. So I have political opinions. But that was I, Jack I, Cohen, by the way. That was Jack Cohen. Um, so I don't espouse my opinions online so much. But with comics and everything, every art form now, everything, daily life, we're so... I mean, the world's crazy. It's so much... Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, I, it's, it's weird to not sort of be able to talk about this stuff, but I feel paranoid. When your best friend... Can I say he's your best friend? Oh, okay. Very when much, yeah, when your best be- friend, when, yeah. when your best friend is someone who is getting these diagnoses from doctors and you know telling them that like he should basically be dead by now, that changes obviously not only the way he interacts with the world, but I assume the way you do as well. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's a bleak perspective in a way. It's a hedonistic bleak kind yeah. of. I mean, th- that's like the crane, you know, hanging from cranes. Yeah, just like you know, he's just, you know, he's gonna, he's been constantly told he's gonna die. Yeah. And I've been around that and my mother and just, you know, this destructive kind of yeah. influences. I mean, uh, I don't tend to think of hedonism as being bleak, but you're right. It kind of is, right? It is. It's it's giving up in a way. And like, it's a sense just, of like, let's, let me just get all of this at once while it's still here. Yeah. I mean, really, we should be like eating grains and being very careful, like cold under life, healthy as possible. Yeah. Like. But then again, like I talked about jean of Castray earlier, she was super healthy, never yeah. drank, ate really great. Had a you know beautiful daughter, and then a month later diagnosed with cancer and died like eight months yeah. later. Like you, you never know. So I'm smoking them up. Like fuck it. Like you know I, I'm going to enjoy it while I'm here. Take God, it a did day you to that time. album. Yes, oh, Phil's a friend of mine. He stayed at my house in yeah. like 2014. I used to be like a gig booker for a while, and I, I love Phil and I love Genevieve, and that was fucking heartbreaking. It's like Ooh. the first line in the first song on that album about just death, the is re- real. but the reality <laughs> of it, right? Yeah, it was. I just held my wife and yeah. wept after yeah. listening to the, the first single from that album, uh, and knowing Phil and Genevieve, it was harder and just. But yeah, that album is cr- crazy good, but not listenable at all. Just, yeah, and that's the consensus of the critics just like it's a masterpiece of, of raw emotion it's a masterpiece but, but let's just put this in a vault somewhere yeah you listen to it once yeah. and there's like never again yeah. 
it's just so raw and there's no metaphor. Yeah, I mean, Phil's always been a great writer. Yeah. And he dropped all the metaphors and was yeah. just direct and it was just utterly heartbreaking. Yeah. Oof. Him getting a, a backpack. Yeah, in the mail for the it's future. It's like these little things in life. Yeah, this lost future, this planned for future that was just stripped away. But also this... things that you would never in a million years consider. But every single thing that happens yeah, brings you back to that. Accumulative haunting. Yeah. Just all these things, just like the, the bloody tissues in the in the bin and and I th- I feel like that every day. Like, you know, I, I, I have all these like deep thoughts about my wife in the day and stuff. I think all these like deeply romantic thoughts and just get like emotional over like a tissue or something like you know, I, yeah, I, that's what I was talking about earlier. Like, just reality. Like, I don't know how people can get so embedded in it and, like, the rat race. Like, yeah. every day I wake up fascinated by existence and just baffled and just sparkling with just, like, what the fuck is going What is this? And horror. Like, the, the horror of the flesh. The sound and the fury. Just being in this body. It's, I, I always talk about body horror and just the disgustingness of this, like, living animated skeleton and just... Yeah. It's fascinating. The universe. Ugh. Anyway. This is the thing that people grapple with. I, I, it's really hard for people to live in the moment. You I don't lo- seem to have yeah. that problem. I'd love to be dumb and Christian. I'd, I'd love to just be like... No, but I'd, I'd love to just be like religious or something and just believe yeah. in this set code of morals or just yeah. like some set thing and like, this is it. But I, I don't think that things are that simple. There's so many different religions and there's so many different perspectives and we know nothing uh, just stoner thoughts, just deep stoner thoughts. I mean, you know, life. It's you know, it's crazy. It's magical. I make comic books. Pfft. Yeah, you don't take any of it for granted. No, I, I try to enjoy it all and stuff. It's a crazy roller coaster ride. Life, you know, it's it's been a fucked up year. Everyone's gone crazy, and it's a political nightmare. And there's still so much beauty in the world. And I, I try to keep it maintain you know, my my bubble, my small circle of friends. I help out my friends. I help out my family. I, I try to keep my rabbits healthy. I love my rabbits. We got a lot of rabbits in the house. And, you know, we look after our little bubble. And if everyone can look after each other, and, you know, I'm getting all like, you know, sting fucking preaching hands across America or something. But, you know, yeah, you know, we're all working towards something great. We'll get there eventually. There you go, Simon Hanselman. Thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. Really enjoy that conversation. And thanks to he and Jack for being uh, very gracious hosts while I was out in Seattle for work for a few days. Got to meet all of the bunnies, including Woody, who sadly uh, passed away a few days ago, and Wanda the Dog. Thanks to them. And of course, you can check out many of Simon's books over on Fanagraphics, several Megan Mog and Mega Hex collections over there. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you've got any feedback, it's rwhalecast at gmail com. You can follow us on Tumblr. That's rylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your R-I-Y-L related information. Like us on Facebook. If you do like the program, please consider supporting us over on iTunes or if you get podcasts, we have a Patreon as well if you want to send a couple bucks our way. And uh, I guess that's about all I got for this week. So thanks so much and stick around because we will be back just about this time next week with another episode of R-I-Y-L.